I trust that you have an outline of the message this morning. We'll go over that outline in just a moment on the PowerPoint here. We don't have questions that we normally have, but we want to cover this morning a lot of Scripture. Ephesians 1 was our starting place, and we're not going to exegete that passage, but we're going to move on to try to understand some things about how the resurrection applies to us. And this is what we'll look at. We realize that we have perishable bodies. They are man's dwelling place here on this earth. Then we'll look at Christ's redeeming grace. The imperishable truth with regard to our bodies, the dead come alive and the living never die. How could that be? Then undeniable comfort, words that bring good cheer and also a timely caution. What does Christ's resurrection this morning mean to you? Does it just mean saved from hell on my way to heaven? Does it mean saved from sin on my way to holiness? We want to consider what the Scripture says. 1 Corinthians 15, 21 and 22. Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. That is, all who are in Christ. Not everyone is going to be made alive spiritually, but all who are in Christ. Some of us have realized that our bodies are perishable, and they are beginning to wear out. But they serve us well as a dwelling place while we are here on this earth. Paul writes in the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5 and verse 6, So we are always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Where do you live? Yvonne and I live right next door at 3948 East U.S. Highway 290 in Fredericksburg. But I don't really live there. I live in my body. And where my body goes, I go. And where I go, my body goes. And that same thing is true for you. Myself and my body are two separate, distinct, and different things. You're looking at my package, that's my body, but there's a person who lives down inside my package, and that's myself. And the same is true for you. Your body is an extension of you, but it is not you. Someone can hurt your feelings and never come near your body because they hurt the person that lives down inside. Your body may lose some of its parts or the function of some of its parts, as did Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer. When she was six weeks old, she became blind, and yet she went on to write over 9,000 hymns, some of the great hymns of the faith. So you might have a member of your body amputated, but the person is still intact down inside. Since the body is perishable, One day, your body is going to wear out, flame out, strike out, 
fade out however you go. But when that day comes, your person is going to check out of the package. Your person is going on somewhere else. You've likely heard of old Mr. Pease who died having left instructions for the epitaph on his tombstone. Here lies old man Pease beneath the daisies in the trees. Pease ain't here, just the pot. Pease shelled out and went home to God. Well, if you've made no plans for the shell out, you better be prepared for the freak out that's going to come at that moment of departure. Because where you're going, there will be no burnout. It keeps on going forever. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. But here is good news for those who check out in the Lord. The same passage. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and of the faith of Jesus Christ. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Praise the Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be home with the Lord. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Now, I'm not saying everybody here is anxious to be absent from the body. But what I'm saying is that when you are absent from the body, if you are a true believer, your person will be present with the Lord, no matter what has happened to the package. For those in Christ, something else is coming. Something that is absolutely unbelievable. See if you can believe it this morning. 1 Corinthians 15:53. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. And that is accomplished by that great power that was exerted upon Christ to raise Him from the dead that we read about in Ephesians chapter 1. Now here's the question regarding our perishable bodies. What kind of victory is it if part of us will still be in the grave? O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? How can I say that if part of my package is still somewhere in Texas in the grave? What kind of victory would that be? And there is someone else who lives inside your body that we have to consider. The Holy Spirit lives there. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian. I don't think for a moment that the Holy Spirit is going to leave part of your temple in dust or ashes or as the main course for the worms. Job didn't think that either. For I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh 
I shall see God. Good news. The entire person and package will be glorified as well as justified. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Them he also glorified. That includes the package. A few verses previous to that one, Paul confirms what we are saying. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Our souls are redeemed and our bodies are redeemed, awaiting the completion of our adoption as sons and daughters in the resurrection of the dead. That brings us to section B, God's redeeming grace. Now, this is a very well-known verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. In just a moment, we'll look at it in context because there are various ways to interpret that verse. God's redeeming grace will resurrect the bodies of all Christians who ever lived. But God's righteous wrath will resurrect the bodies of unbelievers to eternal condemnation. We're told about that in Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Imagine that. Everyone who ever lived upon the earth will be resurrected. Some to a resurrection of eternal joy and bliss with Christ because of his redeeming grace through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What a great blessing for us. As we think of it, imagine what God has done in this resurrection. There is no salvation in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Talk about a mandate for the church, the missionary task that we have been given. Think of it. All the people on all the battlefields of the world who have been blown to bits will be resurrected. All the ones who perished at sea, all who were burned in a fire, all who were eaten by wild beasts and cannibals or smashed in automobiles or electrocuted by high voltage, all whose bodies have been mummified, petrified, calcified, and nitrified or just putrefied in the ground, nitrified like Walt Disney and Ted Williams, the baseball player, all the thousands who lived before the flood, all the citizens of ancient Assyria and Babylonia and the Medo-Persian Empire and all the Greeks and all the Romans and every Chinese, Russian, African, Indonesian and every American, all who ever lived, will come forth from the grave, some to everlasting life and others to everlasting condemnation. Is that true? Yes, 
according to the Bible. Some scriptures that you may want to mark in your Bible, they could come in handy and sometime later. Isaiah 26, 19. Thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs, and the earth shall cast out her dead. Now we're starting way back in the Old Testament prophets, and things become much more clear as we move to the New Testament revelation. Daniel 12.2 Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and others to shame and everlasting contempt. In the King James, it says many of those who sleep in the dust. Many in this case, meaning the whole considered as made up of many. And you see the use of that word many in Romans 15. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, well, everyone is dead spiritually because of Adam's offense. Much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. It abounds unto everyone who accepts Christ and comes to him in true repentance and saving faith. And here it's clarified in 1 Corinthians 15, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. All who will be made alive, all who have come to him. We don't want to slide into a doctrine of universalism because we see from these other scriptures that it's those who are in Christ Jesus who will enjoy this eternal life with him. Well, the scriptures go on. Hosea 13 and verse 14. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. But now it becomes very clear in the New Testament. Gospel of John, verse chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to a resurrection of life and those who have done evil to a resurrection of condemnation. John 6 and verse 40. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. If you see it, what I'm saying this morning, and you believe in Christ, meaning you have trusted him, then you may have everlasting life. There's a universal offer to all men. If you can see it and understand it, and if you trust yourself to him. But it goes on in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. When will this resurrection take place? Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. We shall not all sleep, that is, we won't all die. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. At the trumpet sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible. When will the trumpet sound? I don't know, and nobody knows. Only those in heaven, only God knows 
And it will come at the right time. So we want to be ready for that time. Can you believe that? That in the twinkling of an eye, everyone who ever lived would come back together? Some people would say, well, the sheep are coming back at this time and then the goats at another time. But imagine that. How could that be in the twinkling of an eye? If you can't believe that God created this universe by speaking and it stood fast, you'll never believe the resurrection because He's not going to take two billion years to resurrect people from the dead. It's coming instantly. When the trumpet sounds, it's all over. And we want to be ready. God is going to pull all the people back together into their new bodies. Think about that for a moment. Think of your great, 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 great grandfather. One of his atoms is floating down the Amazon River and another is growing up as a tomato in Yvonne's garden. How is is God going to get all of those particles back together again? Particles all over creation. Think about John Wycliffe who died of a stroke on the last day of the year 1384. But 45 years later, because he had translated the Bible into the English language, his bones were dug up and burned and the ashes scattered on the River Swift, which runs into the Avon River, which runs into the Severn River, which runs into the Narrow Seas, and then to the ocean. All that so that nothing would be left of him to resurrect. And it was the church that did it. They didn't know the power of the resurrection. What a mess we get ourselves into when we don't know the Bible. You can burn him. You can grind him into powder with a mortar and pestle. But God is going to pull all that particles back together into a great multitude which no man can number. Instantly you will see the toe bone connected to the foot bone. The foot bone connected to the ankle bone. The ankle bone connected to the leg bone. And so right on up the backbone connected to the head bone. So hear the word of the Lord. And all that's going to be done instantly. And then there will be sinews and I suppose organs. Because one day Jesus ate breakfast with a bunch of guys. You've got to have a stomach to be able to eat breakfast. This is looking pretty good here. Now here's the question. I knew you would ask this question. What does this new resurrection body look like? That's a good question. I don't know the answer to it, but I will tell you what I know. There will be an identity between your body now and your new resurrection body. There will be an identity there. Who do you think that sweet boy is? That's sweet old Bob. That was sweet new Bob back in those days. And we didn't have pampers back then, so sometimes he got a little soggy and a little saggy, but we didn't know. So we just went on. I just changed the tire on my dad's car there. (laughs) Now, if you could have heard, I, I was the first grandson in both sides of the family. And if you could have heard when my mother and my grandmothers and my aunts all got together 
And they begin to see an identity in me with all kinds of folks. Oh, he looks like Amos. That was my grandfather. And he's got uh, Aunt Sally's nose and he's got these ears and all kinds of things. But now here's the amazing thing. That body that you see in that picture is this body right here. It's the same body that I came with. And it's the body that will go into the grave. And a new body will be resurrected that will have some identity with that body, with this body. I'm not sure what it will be, but I think that you will certainly be recognizable Jesus was. How do I know? The Bible says so. How old will you be? That's a good question. I don't know that, but I hope not 70 and I hope not 2. Somewhere in between. Jesus appeared to be 33 in His new resurrection body. How do you know that's true? It was true for Jesus. He had flesh and bones and they could recognize Him. Luke 24, 38. And He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Yes, but can all this be supported by science? Not for a moment. No more than naturalistic science supports the creation. Science says, I can't see it. I've never seen it before. It doesn't make any sense, and I don't believe it. Well, you could apply that to a lot of things. Before I moved to Texas, I never saw one of these. See if you know what this is. That's an elk shed. Now here's the amazing thing that relates to regeneration. A bull elk will have two of these things attached up here, and they may weigh 40 pounds. But the bull elk himself weighs seven to 800 pounds, and they get a run and start and crash into each other and fight with these antlers. It's hard bone. Indians made various kind of tools out of the antlers. But here's the incredible thing. I never knew, I never thought about. I thought about deers, deer, but not anything this big. At a certain time of the year, these things just fall off on the ground. Can you believe that? They just fall off on the ground. And then there are no horns until the season comes around again when we're going to grow horns. And then the horns begin to grow at over an inch a day. And they have this velvet on them, which is the only skin and a mammal that can regenerate itself. Pretty amazing. Now, wouldn't that be something if we had an automobile, the scientists could give us an automobile that would grow its own air cleaner. And when the old one got finished, it would just kind of fall off and put a little tray for it to fall into. And then it would grow a new one by itself. Save a lot of money, save a lot of cost, but science can't do that yet. They may be able to do it sometime. But science can't resurrect the dead and take them to heaven. When this antler is in velvet, and you've got the little blood veins and so forth carrying the nutrients, that velvet is 
very expensive business because movie stars and athletes and others use it for its supposed nutritional value. Now, that would have been incredible to me that an elk could grow this thing just exactly like this one, only larger, every year. Amazing. But think of this. We're going to set him down right there. Think of this. Suppose you were a missionary to a primitive tribe in Burkina Faso down along the equator. And suppose you were going to tell them about ice. Ice? And you say, you know, water can get hard enough that you can stand on it. In fact, you can cut it with a saw. Water. You can cut it with a saw. And out in the ocean, there are great mountains of water sticking up in the air. Frozen, of course. And amazingly, you can start a fire with water. Yeah, you can freeze it and then cut it into a little lens and then focus the rays of the sun on some kindling. And pretty soon, if you get it right, it's going to burst into flame. Now, what are those people in that tribe going to be thinking about you if they're thinking like science? You must be crazy. Get this guy out of here. Water that you can walk on? Well, that's the way science is. I can't see it. I've never seen it before. It doesn't make any sense. And I don't believe it. Now, if you're coming to man's reason for hope of the future, for hope in the afterlife, you don't have much hope. Because man's reason comes to a different conclusion than God's truth so many times. Let God be true and every man a liar. Now, we're not saying God's truth is irrational, but you've got to accept the whole system of what the Bible says. Then it sounds pretty good. And the resurrection from the dead and the creation and all these things fit right together in the power of a sovereign God who can just speak and it happens. But if you're going to throw out part of it like people do today, then it's going to be hard to get the other parts to fit. The Bible says scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own lusts, their own evil desires. Well, I don't know if these are the last days, but I do know that we have a lot of scoffers and there are a lot of other signs that might indicate that we're moving toward the last days. That brings us to the imperishable truth about our perishable bodies. John 11, 23 through 26. Now Jesus is speaking with Martha, whose brother has just died. Listen carefully to what he tells her. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this? King Agrippa didn't believe it. He was a Jew. He should have known that people had been raised from the dead in the Old Testament. The widow, uh, the, the son of the widow of Zarephath by Elijah. The son of the Shunammite woman by Elisha. And then one guy who was dead who they threw in Elisha's grave and he popped back to life all by himself. King Agrippa should have known about that. But evidently he didn't. And Paul asked him a question. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you 
that God should raise the dead. Why didn't he believe? He should have known about the resurrection of the dead. Well, the reason he didn't believe is the reason that many millions of people don't believe. And we don't know who they are. And we have to carry them the truth. But here's what Jesus tells us. John 10, 26. But you do not believe. He's speaking to a group of people. You do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. Well, the dead come alive in John eleven twenty five. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now be careful because Jesus is shifting gears right here. And you've got to follow it closely. Martha had just noted that her brother would rise on resurrection day. But Jesus is moving on into the solution to everyone's problem with death. The right now, today, immediate solution. Remember, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now couple that up with what Paul says. And this is a longer text, but let's look at it carefully. And you, he's writing to Christians in Ephesus. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, in order that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus." For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest no one should boast. Christ has raised you up at the time of your conversion and seated you with Him in heavenly places. Not literally, physically, but spiritually. You are with Christ. Christ is with you. Uh, Your authority comes from Christ, who is at the right hand of the throne of God. The Father tells the Son. The Son has told us to do the will of the Father. There is no contradiction there. So if you were dead spiritually and you were made alive in Christ, that is truly grace. Part B, the living never die. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Verse 26. But here's where people stumble. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Christians die all the time. What is he talking about? Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You and I know members of our family and loved ones who have died. He's talking about the second death, not the first death. And the second death is something that you really want to avoid. You don't want to have any part of the second death. 
Revelation 20 and verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. They didn't have anything else to go on. They didn't have Christ. All they had was what good they did, which was not good enough. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The unbeliever is born once and dies twice. The physical death and then the spiritual eternal death, this second death. The Christian is born twice and dies once. Physical birth and then being born again in Christ. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He shall never die that second death of eternal condemnation away from God and everything that is good. How shall we escape? Hebrews 2, 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confined unto us, confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? How do you get into this book of life and escape the lake of fire? 1 John 5, 11 and 12. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It's not about joining this church. We'd love to have you in this church. But the church role of Fredericksburg Christian Fellowship is not the same as the book of life. It's not about a preacher who can rattle the rafters with the old-time religion. It's not about a priest. It's not about the Pope. It's not about a religion in the sense that I try to do some things to make myself pleasing to God. It's all about a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. You either have this relationship with Christ or you're bound for the lake of fire. It's that simple. There are no other alternatives. And how do you get that relationship? Well, you start by acknowledging that you are a sinner, renouncing your sin, asking forgiveness, crying out to God for mercy, committing yourself to Him to live by the power of His Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 11. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you He will give you life right now, abundant life, according to His Spirit who dwells in you. So there is a certain resurrection when a person becomes a Christian. And then there is another resurrection on the resurrection day. Now we come to the last section, very brief. Undeniable comfort. 1 Thessalonians 16 through 18, we've read this. Why do we need comfort? Because we know people we love who are gone from this earth. Are they just gone forever? Well, no. First Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, comfort 
one another with these words. There is the comforting thought right there. That verb for comfort, parakaleo, that's the same verb used to describe the great comforter that Christ is going to send, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. That's the only true comfort when you come down to matters of life and death. Science doesn't have anything to offer. Those who railed against it don't have anything to offer. Only the resurrection of the dead through the power of God. Well, good cheer. We need something to cheer us up when we start thinking about death. Confidence in the resurrection rests on God and His Word. Not on today's Darwinian science that may be hashed by tomorrow. Science changes as we go along. Jesus is the forerunner, the prototype, the guarantor, the first fruits, and firstborn from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep, those who are dead. Revelation 1, 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, the firstborn from the dead. The resurrection is real. It's not a myth. It's not a metaphor. It's the ground of all reality because life on this earth will cease to exist, but this life that we're reading about with Christ goes on forever and forever and forever. A timely caution. Before we get to the caution, the verse that's on your outline, 1 Peter 1, 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and His great mercy He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Here's the caution, Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. If you're not sure that you're in Christ, then confess this morning, that you are a sinner. Renounce your sin. Ask forgiveness. Cry out to God for mercy and commit yourself to live for Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. You can do that even as we pray. But if you do that, be sure to talk to me after the service. And I'd love to share with you some things that would be helpful, shall we pray? Lord, we thank You for Your amazing power that You can raise the dead. And we thank You that You have called us to be a part of that, to be resurrected to life. Lord, we thank You that uh, once we leave the body, this earth, our person goes to be with You in person in heaven to await the resurrection of everyone and a new resurrection body that you have prepared for us to live in a new heaven and a new earth. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have gone to prepare a place for us. 
And if you've gone to prepare a place, you will come back again and receive us unto yourself, that there we may be with you always. Lord, perhaps there's someone here this morning who's not sure about their eternal destiny, who's not sure about his or her relationship with you. I pray that this would be a time of examination. I pray that your Holy Spirit might work in resurrection power to bring on the understanding, the light that you've promised us that you came to give. And Lord, for those of us who know you and are convinced of the resurrection, we pray that we might not grow weary in well-doing, but that we might stand firm with all resolve, having a hope steadfast and sure. And we pray that we might ever be faithful to share this glorious news that you have given to us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.